and welcome to the Dice and Screaming Podcast. Yes, inflicted upon you once again. Oh. Heaped upon your ears is the little gaming podcast that casts vain death every time the combat goes south. Oh. Every single time. Oh. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The monks need that ability, but uh, so do we. <laughs> they need it for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have, uh, I think we've got more hit points than the monk. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> but do we have as much courage? You got to hand it to the monk, okay? You know, running into a, I'm going in a dangerous dungeon, unarmed and mostly harmless. I'm in danger. <laughs> yeah. I, I respect your courage, uh, if not your planning ability. Yeah. <laughs> so here in the monsoon season, uh, Southwest Lower Michigan, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. Yeah. Are going to do a podcast and you're with us. So, hey, we appreciate having you. Welcome. And of course, we're here to talk about a topic. What is the topic this week? Oh, well, it looks like our previous diviner has fled the premises. Oh, yeah. The, the Psyomancer has been retired. No longer. Of, well, uh, he was scared of his own shadow. Oh. Uh, so he had wow. to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's no way to be. You can't no. be a Psyomancer and, and divine the future through shadows if you're terrified of your own. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> we, we've gotten in contact with the Outer Plains via Dreeromancy. So what is Dreeromancy? The examination of dripping blood. Oh my. Yes, by, by observing the dripping blood. That got dark. You read the future. Yeah. But I'm, not, I'm not cutting myself for this. It's a thing. I don't make these up. I, I, I just make use of them. So We uh, don't make up the news. We just report it. Now, uh, we're not going to give away the topic just yet. For those of you who, you know, I don't know, just clicked play and uh, didn't pay close attention to the uh, actual header on this. Uh, we'll, we'll just do the... Uh, Dreeromancy right now for next week. All right. And uh, we have some fake blood, so... Ow! <laughs> now, oh, watch, that's not fake. watch the splatter. Okay. I am gazing into the future and I see Metamorphosis Alpha. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so we were just talking about Gamma World, so we're going to take a deeper look at the origin of Gamma World. What was... Proto and what was essentially the first science fiction role-playing game. And, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that. Uh, James Ward's Starship Warden and Metamorphosis Alpha and everything in between. Leading up to, of course, game. So, stick around for that one. If you want to catch us on that, then you have to wait until next week because it's the future. Yeah, that's that's to, as yet to come. But today we're going to be talking about Several misconceptions about old school classic gaming, and we're going to be examining some various topics, little bullet points that we've got prepared here that seem to come up quite a bit, both pro and con. And for those of you anticipating a cringe fest about us talking about those darn millennials and their newfangled games, we're talking about primarily how sometimes they're used as gatekeeping to keep people out, or sometimes misconceptions that are held too tightly that don't have the actual context. So we hope to clear some of these misconceptions up because they are all rooted in truth. There is a certain grain of truth to each one of these, but sometimes it gets lost in the translation of how these actually transpired in real actual tabletop play. Yeah, the, the questions would be things like, you know, what were the common experiences of early gaming? 
uh, circa the 1970s and early 1980s. Uh, you know, what constituted an actual old-style game. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the truth is incredibly muddy because while there are a great many people who wish to purport that their experience or interpretation of their experience at that time uh, represents X, uh, they then kind of take it a step further and they go, well, X was the only kind of real gaming there was. Uh, far from it. I, it. It's actually a deeper and murkier pool than I think people are giving it credit for. Uh, there were an awful lot of things happening in a very short period of time. Uh, it, it's as though Pandora's box got opened <laughs> and everything flew out all at once. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> laying to rest or at least rebutting some of the nonsensical insistences, uh, yeah, it, it seemed like a worthy effort. But it also gives us a chance to, hey, you know, we're going to mine the nostalgia. You know, at, it may not be the most admirable task. Uh, I know it's it's easy fodder, but it is a part of where we came from. It's well, this big chunk of our childhoods that three quarters of our listeners uh, are of that age group. That is the category. So that fits in that category directly. It's true. A lot of people will have extremely similar memories to ourselves. So, all right. So. Well, let's start it off with just getting right into it, lethality. There's a lot of misconceptions about when you play an old school game, what makes it an old school game? And one of them, the primary one is, well, it was lethal. That's with uh, save or die, same zero versus poison, uh, low hit points. You went to zero hit points, you were just dead. We had that happen in our game last night. Oh, yeah, which, I mean, Hey, you know what? Before we go full intro, we had promised in the last previous episodes that we will be giving reviews or momentary uh, discussions on the old school style game that we're undertaking right now. Uh, I, I feel like that was also a great tactical choice because I'm real proud of being in uh, a you know basic style game all these years later. Yeah. It is weird and wonderful. Uh, you know, back when Elf was a class. Yeah. It's a class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fourth level Elf. You know, just... Congratulations. Maybe you'll be a dentist. <laughs> um, oh. Well, we we had a great time last night. Oh, we, yeah. we had our first player death. Uh, first wandering monster, troglodyte, killed the fighter. Yeah, we... We were tangling with Shriekers, and it brought, <laughs> man, <laughs> that Shriekers milkshake brought all the boys running to the yard, okay? Just throwing it out there, that, wow, okay, that, they showed up like security services in a gated community. Like one alarm goes off, and just zing, like eight cars pull in, um, all hands on deck. Oh, and, yeah. There's adventurers in the dungeon. Get them, boys. Uh, wow. I... <laughs> I'm playing a mage at the moment. So, you know, for, for my frame of reference, old school, um, mages not packing the most hit points. 
So mm. I, I'm basically stoked up on gear, you know, like used all my loose change to buy oil and holy water and other goodies that I can throw at stuff because I've, I've got a nice, moderately strong dexterity and a fair chance of hitting things with grenade-like missiles. So when, when you have only one spell to your name, <laughs> uh, you really want to have a backup plan. So I got throwing daggers and a bunch of grenade missiles, uh, and that's it. And a sleep spell. And woe betide ye if uh, I drag out the sleep spell. Mm. Uh, I got to use that last session, too, because when the, the orc mob showed up, uh, I just hit him with the knockout. And that was that. We, we cleaned them up. But then, like, uh, Orc Gang 2 showed up, too. Oh, man. We had troglodytes, orcs, and bandits in this uh, last, what was it, last night's uh, encounter yeah. list. I mean, we, we were up and fighting a lot. Huh. So, no joke. Um, anyhow, our strongest warrior was torn apart by a troglodyte who got in two lucky rolls with really solid damage and shredded the first level warrior while we still did not yet have healing spells available to us. So we were not able to preserve him. And indeed, when we talk of lethality, uh, you know, this is kind of an example of that. It's a perfect example of the the pitfalls of level one gaming old school. You showed up at the table and you knew you might have to draft another character. Like I burned through two illusionists playing uh, early, first edition AD&D and they were gone in short order they did not uh, one made it to level 3 the other made it to level 4 that was it, that was as close as they got right and you know the lethality part, getting back onto the topic is that, because we'll be covering a couple of these topics in our own game <clears throat> is that yes games are in the in the old school uh, style, are lethal. You kind of got to take your lumps, and this has resulted in some people, like uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, having what's called the character funnel. You run a bunch of zero level nobodies with very little background or just a perfunctory story, uh, occupation that gets them into adventuring, and then you kill them off, and then what survives is the thing that uh, you make into a first level adventurer, and. <clears throat> Whether or not that is your playstyle, hey, that's that, that's cool and everything. Well, we used that once. Yeah, we uh, did. <clears throat> it was when we first started playing. Uh, uh, we, we did the warm-up session pre-first edition years ago, uh, after the release of Fourth, uh, when we were, you know, down at a comic shop reintroducing people to. All right, we're going to walk you through first edition gaming. Yep. So that you have some idea of why it's such a radical change-up uh, from what we recognize as D&D. Uh, and it will also make it more understandable as to why we consider it too large of a leap away from Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, so that was our purpose, but we used the old-fashioned character funnel method. Yeah, we, we didn't even make it to town. I mean, we could see the town, but those hobgoblins finished us off before we made it. So... Uh, tragedies, a lot of tragedies occur. Trying to talk to Hobgoblin sometimes doesn't work out. So kind of vicious. I was not in favor of it, but I, I also had to bite my tongue a little because 
you know, I was shepherding new players and it, it doesn't do to like taint the well and just tell everybody what they should do. And there's a lesson in that too. Okay. Avoiding the temptation to instruct people on what they should do as a gamer. You're like, they'll find it out on their own. I, well, sometimes you want a shepherd and, and, you know, and give an NPC or a character that gives some guidance, but ultimately if they make a bad decision, let them live with it. And that's, yeah. that's 90% of the lethality of the old school is it? It wasn't that the game killed you. It was some of your more, uh, how do I want to put this? Uh, your bad choices caught up to you. You had consequences. And, oh, I'm just going to eat the cheese. And the cheese kills you because it's poisonous and spoiled beyond all redemption. So, yeah. <laughs> or uh, another example with the, the differing weight of lethality is... Point blank, 45 years ago, uh, who had read a hundred memes about gelatinous cubes or yellow mold or anything? No such thing. Okay. There was no, no background info, no inside jokes, no internet, just a bunch of people at a table with no way of knowing what that thing DM just described was. If you hadn't been there before, you had no idea what you were walking into. And the end result of this meant that a lot of people stuck their face in the buzzsaw. It was not because the game was more lethal as much as it was that the players were extremely inexperienced and universally unready. And so, you know, with a smile on their faces, they marched bravely in and knew that, well, I mean, if last week was any indication... <laughs> I came with an extra pad of paper for directors. Right. So. You know, you walk down the hall. Oh, there's a pit trap. You fall in. There's spikes. You're dead. Yeah. Uh, oh. It's like, I rolled die three. Uh, that's the number of spikes that appears to your flesh. Each spike does die six points of damage. Uh, plus the 10 foot fall was an additional die six. So that's, that's four die six of damage to you. Oh, <laughs> I, I only had eight hit points. Well, you took 18, so. Yeah, and you would wonder why in the world there would just be a pit trap there and you would just have to accept it. So that's what poles came in the existence. I prod in the floor as I go ahead. Tap, 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 tap. Yep, and so there's a lot of good construction people are sometimes a-holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoever designed these dungeons was some kind of sadist. Yeah. Or murderer. But that's the lethality we're talking about. The, the wildly variable circumstances that newly arriving players encountered put them in great jeopardy. And now these have become these fantastic tropes. Everybody's at least seen a movie or read a book or watched a TV show that's brushed up against this. And certainly lots of video games. Uh, so now... The well has been tainted by foreknowledge. Uh, so it, it's not, oh, the game was tougher back then. No, we were 12. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, <laughs> and we rushed in where angels fear to tread. Who knew there were giant killer bees in this dungeon? Yeah, that is why you wound up with so many dead PCs. Uh, and so now we have this memory well where some people like to gloss over it and go, oh, it's the Iron Man version of the game. You didn't even have pubes yet. You just <laughs> chill out and walk it back, bro. All right? Yeah. The, okay, it's the exalty part of the game. It still is. And if you say, well, 5th edition, you know, has made death not inconsequential. Well, 
Okay, a deep side. Again, as it I, depends on how you play it. Right. You, you want... Uh, I mean, you can still fail a death save, and that, that's the thing. And you can also uh, still just take so much damage that you're just gone. And that is a thing that you should be prepared for. But every game should have a potential for lethality. Now, it doesn't mean that they walk into the door and suddenly the rocks fall and you're all dead. What it means is that players should have a choice. Now, sometimes a trap is an obvious trap, and if they mess around with it, they kind of know that, hey, this is a trap. This could have some wild consequences. This could go badly really quick. That's one thing. It's another thing to make a no-escape trap that just by interacting with it, you're just dead. So let's... Yeah, let's actually reference uh, another facet of old school that right. I believe some of the legends of lethality emerged out of, and it's still an issue today. Uh, when you're dealing with a new DM, uh, somebody who has not really had a lot of time in the saddle or like has a particular bent, occasionally you get killer DMs. It's a thing. It is. You get uh, people who just really love the power trip not so much the creativity. Uh, what they love is frustrating uh, and diminishing players. They love, like I just, I love having players show up to the table and then they all die one by one like a horror movie. You know, this like house on the hill or you know, like the hills have eyes or some stuff like that. And one by one, I'm gonna get them all, uh, Freddy Krueger style. Or Saw. Uh, you like, don't, exactly. I'm, I'm just gonna mill through character after character. That's not, challenging people with gaming the conclusion is foregone you're going to find a way to terminate their character character that's you know it's weak okay it's weak sauce yeah DMing and at one of the tropes that come out of this is a player versus dm adversary relationship yeah and that's a, a a trope that is a common misconception it's an old school gaming it was you versus the dm the dm was out to get you and you knew it all the time and so everything the DM threw at you, from an NPC to a piece of treasure, was potentially a cursed item or a betrayal, just waiting to happen. I mean, and if your DM genuinely sucked, if you had a like effectively a murder hobo DM, uh, you very quickly got a murder hobo party. Yeah, I stabbed the piece of gold. You don't know. Yeah, it could be a gold bug. It just burrows in your flesh. I saw it happen. You yeah, Tom's character last week. Exactly. Not Tom's. Now Tom's just sitting in the corner, rocking back and forth, mumbling. <laughs> it's a thrice hourly doppelganger check. You know, player paranoia had some justification and it really hung on what kind of DM were you dealing with? How heavy handed were they in the use of the classic DM trope attacks? And we, hey. we're not talking about this as if these aren't sins we've committed because we, we did our DM confessions thing uh, mm -hmm. quite some time ago. We've had a kill, NPC killed Marty. Yeah, we've been responsible for a lot of dead player characters. Okay, at some There's point a lot of blood in our hands. At some point or another, the dice were cruel and we just said, you know what? The dice have spoken. Uh, and we took it and ran with it. Like, this is the thing that it's somehow, sometimes this is how it breaks. But time and experience taught us a couple of things about pacing it, okay? How how much garlic do you want in the soup stock, okay? And learning- Or how much cilantro do you want in your salsa? Oh, yeah. 
exactly the the artistry is in having the right level uh, at the right time and the right place and that's a much tougher thing you know you cannot i can't bring myself to be too harsh to a new arriving dm because how else are you going to learn these things except to be through the experience in person as you go i mean a little advice here and there i mean it, it's great that we can chip in something but it's also something that they have to experience and i don't think they should experience it while getting handed a lot of like oh, well it's not like old school you're not a real dm yet no uh, that's how you become one it, this is the they're doing mistakes the, they're do. doing the thing they have to do to have that experience and it's literally this is the only path to the end goal that we're talking about so i i refuse to be crappy about it yeah <laughs> cat mayhem yeah they like to be part of the podcast um i think also big the big uh takeaway from this is that while there in a lot of old school modules initially a lot of the npcs were treacherous that you would encounter in a dungeon environment or adventuring uh, area there were also a lot of npcs who were helpful and we tend not to remember those because the painful memories stay with us longer than the ones that oh remember when that uh, friendly old man didn't backstab us in the woods but actually showed us where yeah. there was a safe area to camp out in the night near the dungeon nobody remembers uh, like the the kindly gnome community right uh, on the outskirts of uh lost caverns of sacant where you can literally button down and you know take a break and you know they're they're a little touchy on uh, the safety of like total strangers but like if you prove yourselves you've, you've got a nice safe bolt hole to retreat to but every single gamer who was alive at the time remembers the hermit in B1. Yeah, him in the deathbed and the haunting. Yeah. They've got a kill count that just doesn't stop. <laughs> there might be a little bit of PTSD, but I, I drink a lot, so I feel like I got a good handle on it. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Archer references aside, uh, the traumatic moments the like sudden horrible instantaneous deaths they linger in the gamer's mind far longer than the friendly encounter and that cumulative experience made people paranoid seem, and hostile it does seem to be a recurring factor but you don't have to go for it and sometimes using those kind of tropes to undermine some of the players expectations and surprise them is very good but you want to normally say that if that's uh, that's how the old school gaming was, old you couldn't trust the NPCs. All right, fine, but that isn't a universal thing. And yeah, well, a lot of times it was mentioned in the modules. This NPC will betray the party at the earliest opportunity. It was to make people aware that there were other things happening in the world, and it was to create an adversarial environment. And a lot of people engendered that towards the DM. Like, oh, the DM creates these NPCs and gives them to us, then he must be the one, or they must be the one who's got it out for us. No, that's just sometimes the, the bent of the uh, campaign or the focus of that particular scenario. I have used the red herring uh, of creating empathy between characters and a villainous NPC uh, by several techniques. One, uh, the villainous NPC is not in the commanding role. They're in like a secondary subordinate mm. role. 
Uh, number two, their job is extremely difficult or they are, are presently engaged in circumstances that are very, very trying. And so it is obvious that they are like in over their head. Uh, and then third, uh, you know, they literally approach the player characters uh, and are welcoming to them. You know, they, they invite them to like, oh yes, like any help we can have in this situation is greatly appreciated. While somebody else expresses hostility or indifference, this deflects all of the attention off of the principal villain. Uh, <laughs> and it makes the surprise when the principal villain is unveiled so much more wonderful because you get that Scooby-Doo moment where they're like, Chancellor Boxworth! No. <laughs> nice read, Velma. Um, you know, they never expected that because this was the person who seemingly was enthusiastic about their participation. That's DMD-baggery right there. Right. That's what we're talking about. You've got to use it carefully. It, it has to be done with an eye towards the fact that, you know, you have to shuffle it around a little bit. And if you use the same trope every single time, players will autopilot. Like, he was nice to us. We'd better kill him just to be sure. Just to be sure, right? That's where that comes from. And the DM is as responsible for that as the player. You know? right. So then we're going to turn it around uh, in just a moment. But we're going to take a short break and be right back. Taking off the break, yeah, we were just talking about misconceptions about old school classic gaming, and we just finished up talking about the player versus DM adversarial relationships and as a trope. Yeah, and lethality. So we're gonna get back onto it and go with the next outcrop uh, cropping of this trope is murder hoboing. Yes, everybody's favorite trope to pick on. Like, oh, old school gamers—they were just murder hobos, unemployed, feckless adventurers wandering about, uh, looking for things to kill, experience points to gain, and loot to acquire. So I, I feel like you may not have adequately examined the game you were about to play, if that was your chief complaint. Huh. Yeah, your adventurers are given a, a role uh, in the world, nominally through some type of uh, call to adventure or need to better oneself or escape a past problem. So. Have, this relates a little bit to the backgrounds, having backgrounds, because you didn't give your characters backgrounds because they just died all the time. And well, which leads to the other part. But the other part is, is that if you come with a very elaborate background at first level, you may be disappointed. But so people just basically have made up a trope about old school gaming, which is somewhat true. That yes, you were a bunch of people who had no appreciable skill or occupational ability. That had nothing better to do than just stab the nearest thing. Clem and Clyde would be the Dungeon <laughs> Brothers. Our classic. They they've done well for themselves in their <laughs> long time. Fighting and Rogan right. is the way to you know make your living in the world. <laughs> hey, you know how many parts of a unicorn can be sold in town? <laughs> Quite a few, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. I, I feel like this is also a wildly inaccurate stereotype that is handed to old school. I, like the, the implication here is that that is what old gaming consisted of. And many a table had every bit a as heroic a kickoff uh, 
as like a critical role campaign, you know, yeah. uh, comedic or otherwise. But Fresh I, cut grass. I yeah, I'm looking at you, you know, uh, characters with like a, a intentionally noble bent, you know, so and so smiter of evil, you know, Sir Stomps evil, yes, uh, and inevitably the the groups that had that kind of character they had adventures that were focused on like yeah we're, we're the smiters of evil but you know i mean there's a there's a place that like terrorizes the land and, and like terrible things come out of it and you know like terrify and murder villagers we're gonna go make that stop I, this is not murder hoboing I, like the implication that that paradigm didn't exist is just ludicrous uh, which i assume it's spread by people who were straight up not there or their group sucked in like 1982 now as to the realism of it yeah there is a little in the sense that you got metagamers and power gamers that popped up at every table at some point or another that they know that it's a mill for xps okay yep they're not interested in Treasures the XP and gaming, old school gaming, just want to insert that. Yeah, you know, the, there's a way to get to your next level. There's a way to get some additional magical items, and they don't care who has them or how they get them. Uh, in fact, we even ran into like two players who did pretty well most of the time, but they they were lured astray by temptation. Uh, not not so long ago either. This was uh, at the table, and they they yeah. saw an NPC that had been rude to them. And owned valuable magical items. But it had had helped them out of a precarious situation. Yeah, it's not like the, the NPC was completely useful. They were just snotty to them at the time it happened. And they thought, hey, you know, we both got some Rogan skills. How about we kill that NPC and take their goodies? And then we've got some powerful gear. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, the, the town guard... Uh, well, there was an investigation, and of course, things didn't go quite to plan. And then they tried to sell the purloined items that the NPC was carrying in visible <laughs> sight to the very town in which they found themselves. And yeah, it was. It did not go well. Uh, although it, it ended in my fabulous usage of a filter of persuasion that I've been saving. Honestly, I'd saved it for a far better occasion but it seemed worth it for the dramatic effect of making their confessions and abasements, you know, convincing them that that was the way to go. The, I believe it was the uh, the dwarf fighter thief that suddenly decided to shave his beard and, you know, express his sincere apologies in the center of town through the magic of interpretive dance. Mm. <laughs> Which is good. Um, but, Let yeah. the punishment fit the crime, I guess. I you know, know, that wasn't old school. That was new school. The impulses in a player are not unique to one era or to one style of play. Uh, there are things that like pop out holistically, no matter what table you're at, no matter what era you're in, it's a thing, it happens. So characterizing that as like old school was just murder hobo -y. No, yeah, no it wasn't. It's a way to but talk down to the older way of style. We're going to address some of that, but I'd like to end that up with also part of the problem of murder hoping and where I encounter a lot of it is if there was no clear goal, you had these highly well-trained combatants with nothing to do and they will find things to do and they will find things to attack 
whether it's contrived or not. That innkeeper with the surly expression, uh, he must be up to no good. Let's see what he's doing. And that's what is a symptom of some of the sandbox campaigns. If your players are overly looking for something, give them an objective and let go run with it, rather than letting them cast themselves driftlessly and aimlessly about bumping into things until something fights back. Yeah, if you've ever seen, uh, you know, if you've ever been fishing and you've seen like fish coming right to the surface of the water, poking around uh, for any stray bug that hits the surface, those are hungry fish, they're biting. Give them something right. and you will have a hit on your hands, okay? It just, it, like read the room, man. It's, it's obvious at that stage that if you've got like sandbox boredom happening, they are begging for something to do right and, and you can give that to them and it help them have you can help them to express that in the most creative and productive fashion or you can cater to their basest impulses uh, which not what i would recommend as a dm yep so murder hoboing and good or bad is a symptom of something else going on in your campaign and as it's become a trope with many people both trying to cast aspersions of old school gaming or uh, the old school gamers trying to say how tough it was back in the days we killed all the NPCs because they might turn on us. It's a sign that something was wrong. And yeah, that's a, they might turn on us at any moment. Oh, you mean arrest you for all the villagers you murder? That That's not turning on you. That's... Consequences of your own action yeah. coming home to it's law enforcement. So here's another one. Uh, I'm going to pick out. I'm just going to pull this one out. Low magic. Everybody likes to talk of the old. You hear the old graybeards talk about it. Oh, you know, back in the day, you got a plus one sword. You consider yourself lucky. All right. Um, there are a lot of magic items in every adventure, but not all of them get found. The ones that you find, especially that first time you found a magic sword, that when you pulled it from its scabbard, glow. Oh yeah, uh, that, that, that's a, that's a moment that can never be recaptured. Yeah, I'm gonna throw that trope right out because, uh, look, unless you had like super stingy the DM, mm -hmm. which was the exception, not the absolute rule. I mean, honestly, Monty Hallism was a thing we actually actively had to prevent. It was a topic in Dragon right. magazines on a regular basis. It was an ongoing. Yeah, you discussion. were constantly finger wagged by your elders to don't let out too many magic items in the game or you ruin it. And sometimes you just gave into that impulse and you did. And you learned very quickly that both circumstances existed in old school gaming. There were DMs that were wildly overcautious about letting anything into the game. And there were also DMs that like, you know, rules is written, whatever the module said was in there, was in the treasure hoard. Uh, and even more, you know, they would just literally, you know, draft so much loot uh, that it would pat modify their players. Uh, without actually making them sweat for it. So you had both perverse realities at the same time. That the character who, like my seventh level character only has like a one plus one sword, uh, a potion and a ring, that's it. Like seven levels of character, two permanent magical items and a spare potion. Okay, I respect that. But like right next to him is a dude who just came from another table that is carrying 37 separate magical items and has like, you know, 220 Multiple index GP. cards of the caddy of intelligent swords that he's carrying yeah. to remind the fact that you can only bear one at a time. Yeah, they've, they've got them all shoved in a bag of holding, maximum size. Yeah, just 
you had both realities at the same time. Yeah. So I, I don't accept any narrative that says like this is the definition of alt. No, no. Yeah. We kind of had a feel for the game after a couple of years. About the time you're seventh or uh, between seventh and ninth level, you might start seeing a plus two item once in a while. Shields were probably more common to see as like plus two or plus three if those are levels. Because, you know, shields could be destroyed easily or we're often the first casualty of a failed saving throw versus dragon breath. <laughs> yeah, and remember, uh, first edition D&D, item saving throws were a thing. Oh, yeah, even in the uh, OSE, the uh, Old School it. Essentials, they still talk about that. So. We, we still use it, you know. And it's it's a part. But however... Your stuff can also be... If you fail or save, yeah, you probably, and the shield was probably the first one to bite. And sometimes you just had to drop a shield because you had to move a bow or various things uh, happen to it. None, and breast monsters. <clears throat> yeah. So you had care, You had a lot of uh, items and things that uh, were sometimes found or left behind. I mean, I can count numerous items that were never found in a treasure book. And because players, which, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's. <laughs> Uh, it's what the players do with their time that also decides, you know, like, where that treasure shows up. Okay, I mean, some of it, in theory, uh, they're, they're DMs that insist that under no circumstances should any magical item ever be purchased. Um, <laughs> uh, I disagree entirely, because under limited circumstances, like, if you understand how these things come into existence in campaign play, which is like there are temples that make certain clerical uh, related spells, you know, slash potions uh, or, you know, enchant blessings upon things. Uh, why wouldn't they particularly to enrich, you know, their, their agency? Uh, why would they not make at least a few of these available? Obviously, Nobody should be walking down the street and buy, like, a plus five sword. But uh, having available potions of healing and having, you know, a, well, you know. There's an alchemist at the edge of town who crafts and brews a few potions. Yeah, you know, these are not game breakers. Uh, and learning to measure what you let in uh, in a way that doesn't disrupt gameplay. Ah, again, it's an acquired skill, and I refuse to be super crappy to people who are going through that process you know it's a learning curve let them have it you yeah. know huh. there's no nothing to be gained by being high and mighty and you know ah oh, i would never make as critical a mistake as that okay yeah <laughs> i think i smell a liar somebody I, forgot all of 1986 there <laughs> you know? i remember uh, one dungeon that we went into and somebody just thought to look at a lintel above the uh, that was described above the door and there they found a ring a ring of shooting stars and i was like okay that's just laying there yeah well yeah you didn't know what to look and then i got sus about wait a minute has he read this before yeah i was very sad. i was just the players i was like yeah but yeah that that's the thing that happened and sometimes yeah dms were very clever about how they hit it in plain sight others were just you know, an illusion or a trap behind something, and you know, sometimes the trap could just be an inexplicable one, which just caused you some minor discomfort while it hit, but at the same time made getting the item 
its own choice uh, chore. So, yeah, I stuck players uh, with a false tomb scenario, uh, and like there was an evil team working their way in, and a good team working their way in, and the players were the good team, and they made it to the false tomb. And they did not check on the spot. They believed the false tomb was the true tomb. And everything in it was cursed all to heck and gone. So they looted the false tomb and left. And the evil team <laughs> then proceeded to depart uh, with all the goods from the true tomb, uh, which changed the emphasis of the ending of that particular scenario uh, to the players realizing too late they had acquired nothing but cursed items the next day when they were detecting magic and identifying. They went, this can't be it. This isn't the right stuff. Uh, it's either like non-magical or like cheap fakes uh, or well-crafted fakes or downright cursed. We must have made a mistake. And that's when they realized, oh my gosh, the other guys must have gotten to the true tomb. They have the stuff. We have to go chase them down and fight them to get it. And the bad part was the bad guys have the terrific loot from the true tomb. So, yeah, dirty DM pool, uh, sure. but classic trope. And you know what? Uh, it's worth mentioning that the point there was not to be cruel to the players per se, right. but to have a consequence uh, for their perception of things around them. The decisions they make have a a kicker but another facet was the the notion that it was all dungeons all the time yeah the, there was never uh, wilderness adventures or there was other types of encounters that you could have just getting to the dungeon could be a perilous trip in and of itself um, I liked uh, one of the things that really uh, fascinated me early on was that when we were doing the mega dungeons uh, kind of phase that there were groups of bandits that particularly waylaid adventurers who were weak or wounded looking leaving the dungeon because you were often encumbered with lots of fat loot and were easy targets to hold <laughs> you cash in all those hit points fighting off them dragons and then here you are at like quarter strength yeah show up like towards Negan. town well 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 what do we got here <laughs> bunch of sheep needing to be fleeced and yeah so that happened uh, but the old dungeons had a lot of problems with it and it was primarily a way to or a lot of DMs cut their teeth on a pre-prepared adventure that had specific ways to go you could go east you could go north or there were three doors which one do you choose and that made a choice and it was fun and it was interactive, but it did have its limits. And, you know, the versions of the game that came later, specifically like uh, the expert set in basic, tried now to get you out of the dungeons and into the wilderness. Yeah. And that was an, I always thought from the expert set when I first got a hold of that, that was a very instructive oh, way to- Isle of Dread. Right. That like, was a, <laughs> the overwhelming majority of that one is like, you know, going places outdoors at, most of your danger and you is. still had little dungeons to find and hidey holes to uh mystery areas of mystery or interest that you could go to so you still had that kind of immersive dungeon experience but now you had a larger environment because your characters were stronger than this is a common misconception as its root is in truth and it's not necessarily a detriment to say that yeah a lot of the early games were mostly dungeon based 
but at the same time, you grew out of it. And now I see that there's an interest in returning to dungeons because I see the, a lot of the new blood coming in and they are interested in the old school stuff. And this leads me a little bit to where I want to talk about one of the misconceptions that gets uh, shoveled under is resource management, like encumbrance. Now, keeping track of every single item with its coinage can be not fun. And you want to maximize it. And, but having some realism about the, you can carry an infinite amount of weapons and money like it's some kind of infinite pack of holding. Yeah, that does lessen the fact that those items do exist in the game for that particular reason. You've used up all your inventory slots. Yeah, so you got to, you know, <laughs> this is a time to start making some hard decisions. Well, I wouldn't want to give up that blood, blood birch armor. I mean... They're worth like 4,000 gold. You know, it only like weighs 800 pounds. So. I'm sure if I can get it back to town, I'll get a decent resale value out of it. Yeah, all right. Mike is guilty of this. Okay, we're not, again, emphasizing. These are not things that we have no guilt in. Okay, this, this is not stuff where like, oh, we never made that mistake. Uh, guilty is charged. I'm one of the most notorious dungeon hoarders you have ever seen uh, for lugging the last nugget of... <laughs> Those flagstones are like really nice marble. Um, I'm pretty sure I can get a couple of gold for each of them that we drag into town. <laughs> 500 flagstones later. <laughs> yeah. So resource management is a big thing. Hit points, rations, uh, amount of food and drink that are available. These are ways to limit player characters. And nominally they're used at later stages of the game. Or at least to put some tension into the game. Yeah, and let me actually reference uh, the resource management issue. It's a feature in my most current campaign as a DM, which I just started. Uh, this past Saturday, I returned to the DM table for the first time uh, in two and a half years. Congratulations. The title for the campaign is the Archipelago of Doom. Doom. Uh, the players begin shipwrecked. Okay, it, it's a harsh wake-up call. I pulled it on them after they had gone through the effort of spending all their gold, buying all their equipment and Dick. properly equipping. Yeah, I know. They, they properly accounted for everything. And then they woke up with nothing but the rudest clothes upon their back that a person could swim in on a beach with nothing but the shattered debris of a ship uh, and the broken ship uh, speared upon a reef of rock uh, out there in the bay of this island uh, and the initial exploration to recover a handful of sailors to assist them that like did not die they managed to recruit and rescue several badly injured sailors uh, they set up a little base camp they used torn canvas uh, and you know shattered lumber and some of the trees to build crude shelters uh, they had a character who could make fire uh, quite handily. And then they went about the business of building a raft so they could get out to the ruined ship and pillage it for everything of value that they could make use of. Uh, and hopefully with those tools, they will now build a much sturdier craft. But this involved great risk and careful management of very limited resources. The major concern they had at that moment was we're surrounded by salt water we need fresh water supplies what can we get out of the ship in terms of fresh water supplies how much can the cleric make per day how many people can that keep alive 
the tension was palpable. Uh, and resource management doesn't have to be like this terrible grind of, oh, it just kills the magic of the game. The sense of our lives are on the line. These player characters will perish if they do not exercise good judgment. It brought an amped sense of excitement to the table and it had value. It was DM currency. It is something that should not just be high-handedly dismissed as, yeah, it's a bunch of crap from yesteryear that people shouldn't even bother with anymore. No, no, just, no. Yeah, you gotta use Employ it. Employ it effectively, not ham-fistedly. But on the back on the topic of what made this a trope was because encumbrance, if you just sit there and figure it out about raw pound for pound class cause two points in comments. It can get dirty. And I got I get that. But also there's different ways of handling it. Uh, there's also another thing too, like I think that it's important to have mapping in games. But as we're just finding out, uh, it took me a while to realize this too. Module B1 is one we're playing through, which searches search of the unknown. Narrated by Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> um, I was moved by this section from the old school essentials when it said describing explored areas. And, you know, they give you some time of the usual procedures for the players to draw maps of areas being explored based on the referee's descriptions and talk about squares or known areas. And then they say the last one is complex areas. And I like this one. In, in the case of extremely complicated areas, <clears throat> games cost money, the referee may draw directly on the player's map. This is not generally to be encouraged, however, as this does not help the players improve their own mapping skills. But in the insanity, just look at the trying to describe to a mapper the upper portion of the first level. Good luck. Yeah, all right, especially that uh, whole southwest corner oh, uh, with its yeah. crazy maze boat. Oh, oh. And it serves no purpose. Those are things that, yes. Well, that almost gave me a nosebleed because I, I volunteered to be the map pig and uh I, I i did it to myself because i also forgot just how difficult the b1 i also kind of in my excitement and i was so be. jazzed like all right i'm playing in a basic style game <laughs> uh, i i got overwhelmed uh with happy feelings and then the next thing i knew i was like Oh my god, what is this? The non-Euclidean maze of the Wraith Lord Monfear? Oh, yeah. This, well, this dungeon was designed by MC Escher. So, nonetheless, however, there's some things that you may may not work for you. And feel free to discard. There's nothing beholden to having an old school experience that sets you apart from another person because you don't use this. Well, yeah, and I want to characterize all of these tropes that we have mentioned before. They have a common narrative that they are aspects of tools that are theoretically in your toolbox. And they turn into the dark side of the trope when you heavy-handedly overuse a tool. And the way to learn is practice. Okay, so just... And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah, tearing people down because they overdid it, uh, you know, uh, early on. And, you know, that, that it's not extremely productive, okay? Just encouraging people, look, you, you've got to find a way to develop a sense of balance, you, you, like equilibrium. You've got to get sea legs. 
Uh, The first time a person gets on a boat and it's unsteady, it really throws them off and their inner ear is freaking out like, ah, unstable environment. But in time and with practice, they become absolutely familiar with that environment and they prosper in it. That's what gamers do. That is what DMs eventually aspire to. Yeah, and so to bring it full circle, when we started out, we said three quarters of you are of the demographic over 40. This is a word to you for the for the old hands on deck. You know, there's a lot of new blood coming in. Don't gatekeep. Oh, yeah. Teach them our ways. Show them what it's like to be in an old school dungeon. But don't brutalize them. Help them understand our ways. Teach it to them. Uh, well, and, and if nothing else, honestly, just... did I, I never went back to DMs that just like perverse slaughter fest, right? And you're not, but teach them our ways, and show them how it's done. And for the new bloods out there looking like, oh well, I don't want to play in the old ways. Listen quietly. Don't make me go all hippie. Some teach the children. Well, all right. Well, I, the parents. Thanks for ruining my moment. Will slowly go by. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> I, I I would just like to end it on one positive note. If you're new blood and you're listening to this podcast and you think that you know, we're a bunch of old fogies, and we are, we're not getting any younger, but hey, some of the things that we did were pretty fun and give them a try. Don't prejudge. And for you old guys out there who kind of get like, oh, I don't want to talk to the new guys. They're going to get their fidget spinners and... <laughs> Yeah, okay, so... Their vape isn't... You know, is, like, their man bun is a vape that has a fidget spinner in it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so if you're one of those, take a step back and remember that you were at the table learning your way as well. So, help out everybody and when they're trying to learn some of this old school stuff because, as I understand, that old school essentials shows that... Uh, their advanced fantasy uh, Kickstarter show. There's quite a lot of potential still left and interest in the old school game. So oh, yeah. Get out it's on it. It's not exhausted at all. So I think that... Uh, <laughs> well, I think we beat up the tropes. Yeah, I, I mean, if you think of a few tropes, let us know. Of course, you can get a hold of us on Facebook. There's a lot of middle ground in there, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you find something that we missed, maybe didn't cover, give us a call. Well, leave a message and uh, put it on the, our show and uh, highlight it. We also are interested in talking about that. Remember, next week we're going to be talking about Metamorphosis Alpha. Yeah, going way back into the way back machine into this one, Mr. Peabody. So. Yeah. This, is, right, this is one I didn't even, I mean, I heard about, but I never got to play myself. So hopefully you stick around for that. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. What do you think? Yeah, I think we've covered it well. All right. All so right. By, the, by the powers that be, we will uh, bid you adieu. So until next time. May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.